back in the fur shed in the slightly renovated and somewhat more organized fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast, episode number 31, and I am Jeremiah Wood. Um, I am your host, and I'm from trappingtoday.com. So thank you for tuning in. Appreciate having you here. Been doing this uh, weekly for quite a few weeks now, and and uh, we are steadily growing every week. So I appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to topics about trapping, even though we're in the middle of the summer as I record this. Um, it's it's really pretty cool um, to be able to think about trapping uh, year round. So anyway, the fur shed is slightly renovated because I was over at a farm auction over the weekend and I picked up a bunch of shelves. So I got a pretty smoking deal on some steel shelves that were used in some, I think an auto parts store and they are pretty slick. So I got a couple of them that were able to fit in the fur shed and I'm going to use them. One of them is just an absolutely perfect shelf for storing lure bottles and lure making supplies. So that is pretty exciting and it allows me to get a little more organized than I was. And uh, that will tie into what we get to talk about in tonight's episode. We're going to get into lure making. So remember that we had quite a little pause and sometime this winter I talked a little bit about lure making and the things that that interested me in it and what I was trying to do and, and talked about going through sort of a a series of of lure making topics and uh, been working on that a little bit so um, every once in a while you're going to hear something on lure making. Um, I hope you'll find that interesting. I know a lot of trappers are interested in in making their own lures, uh, lures and baits. So it it seems to be a, a growing interest among people. So there's a lot of people looking to learn. Now, uh, keep in mind that I am learning as well. So at the same time that you are hopefully learning from uh, my podcast and other topics and, and books you, you might read in, in online message boards, uh, understand that, that I'm learning uh, as well. And so I'm not an expert at this. Um, however, I... I want to take you through this journey with me as I learn to make lures and hopefully help educate you so that the time that I spend um, trying to figure it out isn't just wasted on me, I guess. Um, I don't know I don't know how far I'm going to go with the lure making. I don't know if I'll have uh, products, uh, a, 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 sort of a, a line of lure making products to sell or if I'm just going to uh, make my own lures for my own use and for a few friends. Who knows? But uh, it's really exciting. It's really a great learning experience. So uh, just like you know, I I tie my own flies for fishing. I do a lot of fly fishing, and pretty much 90% of the flies I use now are flies that I've tied myself. And there's just a little bit more value to it. You you kind of you don't you save a little money if you don't value your time. Uh, if you count your time, then you definitely don't save money. Lure making is going to be the same way. But there's a little more meaning to it. I guess you're involved in more uh, uh, a larger part of the process of of getting that thing done, uh, not just going out and trapping or fishing. But uh, you know you're involved in the process from start to finish, and and you can say that you kind of control uh, your own destiny. 
So uh, to me, catching animals on lure and baits that I've made myself is, uh, it makes the experience that much more valuable to me as a trapper. In addition to that whole value thing, there's also a little more incentive coming down the pipe because uh, lure prices, as I record this, are set to uh, have a, an increase. Um, this is something the industry has been talking about for a long time. It's somewhat controversial among a lot of people. Um, so basically lures, for some reason, everybody in the industry, except maybe one or two lure makers, one's a little cheaper, one's a little more expensive, but pretty much 95 to 98% of the lure trapping lures on the market are the same price. They're $6 for a one ounce bottle and $20 for a four ounce bottle. And they're pretty much all sold in one and four ounce bottles with the exception of one or two here and there. And I've always wondered about that because I know for a fact that some of those $6 one ounce bottles probably cost, um, by the time they're made and distributed and, and all that, they probably, the, the cost that's in them is, is got to be close to $6. And others is probably a dollar. You know, there there's some, uh, probably some coon lures that there really isn't a whole heck of a lot in there because, it, um, the, you know, some, some food-based lures for for beaver or, or muskrat, you know, there there probably isn't a lot of really high end ingredients in a number of those lures, but they sell for the same price as the others, and I'm sure it all kind of evens out. Uh, but that being said, I really, I mean, all the looking at it from someone, you know, the average Joe can look at it and say, well, I don't know about. Uh, about these price increases, you know, I don't understand. That's way too expensive. And and the rumor is, and it looks like the lure prices for most people is going to increase from that six dollars an ounce to seven dollars and fifty cents an ounce. So it'll be seven fifty an ounce, and I believe twenty five dollars for a four ounce bottle. Uh, a number of people say, well, no problem. I can catch. Uh, a certain amount of animals and a one ounce bottle of lure and it's well worth it uh, uh, because I know it's high quality and high quality ingredients and the lure is effective. Other people say, man, fur prices keep going down and lure prices keep going up. I really don't know how much more of this I can take for as increases. So there are trappers that are balking at the, the price increase already and it, they most people don't even know about it yet. For me, having started to make some of my own lures, uh, I can see the, uh, the cost of the ingredients. Of course, I'm not buying them in bulk, but if you really look at the cost of these ingredients and add it all up, there is not a lot of money to be made. Like I told you before, I, I make a long distance call, uh, kind of tailored to the needs I have in my trap line, and I sell a little bit of it here and there. And the if I had to sell that to a wholesaler uh, for the current prices I pay for the ingredients and the bottles and all that, uh, I wouldn't be able to make any money doing that uh, because I sell them, I sell a few bottles directly to people. I can make three or four dollars on a four ounce bottle, so it's just enough to kind of get it out there in more people's hands and 
and become more established as a um, hopefully an effective lure maker and get some feedback from people on how my lures performed. So I'm not really in it to make make money, um, at least at, at this point. But that being said, a lot of these guys I really don't think are making much money. A lot of these lure makers, probably there are you know, pretty big name lure makers that are only making four or five thousand dollars in profit doing this thing. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but uh, from things that I've heard from a few people, I I don't think that's far very far off when when you after you account for all expenses and everything. Now some of them are probably making twenty to thirty thousand dollars, but um, the majority of lure makers there really isn't much margin. The price of the bottles has gone up. The price of all the different ingredients, the essential oils, has gone up. Just basic things like glycerin and whatever, and lanolin, and then you take the beaver caster is a very important ingredient in a large majority of lures out there, and beaver caster prices have gone through the roof because the pelt price for beaver has gone down, fewer beaver are being harvested, so there's less caster on the market. There's just as much demand for that caster, so the prices have gone sky high. So it was just kind of bound to happen. The prices for lures had to go up, and I think everybody's kind of, most guys are going to kind of play the game and and go along with their fellow lure makers, and uh, they're going to increase their prices. So it's probably, it's too bad, but it's probably, overall, it's something the industry needed to do. Um, kind of a necessary evil, and I think it'll all work out, because these prices have not increased for a long, long, long time. So that all that being said, I will say that with this price increase, there might be a little more incentive to try and make your own lure and and see um, what you you know you might be able to save um, 30, 40 percent, maybe even 50 percent off a, a bottle of lure by putting in a little time, ordering some ingredients and making you know especially if you're going to use uh, a larger volume of lures or or you maybe share with some of your fellow trappers in your area. So um, I know for those reasons, um, both the economic reasons as well as just the the whole experience, there there is a lot of interest in lure making. So over you know over in the course of future episodes, we're going to go over a few of these topics and learn a little bit more about lure making. Now before we get into the topic of lure making in tonight's episode. How many of you guys have bought a copy of my book or know about my book, Fur Profit? Uh, F-U-R Profit, A Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. So this is a book that I published this winter. And um, so looking at, uh, it's just basically an overview of the fur market. If you are a, a expert in the fur market, then you don't need this book. Um, but I think everybody can gain a little bit from it. It's... Uh, 57 pages of basic fur market information and just gives you ideas on you know where where to sell your fur what kind of options you have uh, different possibilities uh, types of fur in the market and uh, different places to sell and alternatives to just you know the standard marketing channels that we often use now I looked at the stats and the podcast is small but growing uh, very steadily so excited about it in, in just the early days um, 
you know, last week, 235 of you downloaded the podcast. And uh, so, so that's pretty cool. We're pretty steady at that. I, I would, uh, my goal is to be in the thousands uh, within the next year, and I think we can do it. Um, but really, uh, I know that 235 have not bought the book. So <laughs> you don't have to buy the book. Don't feel like I'm, I'm forcing you to. But if you want to support the podcast um, and the you know, the Trapping Today podcast, the site, all the information that I'm putting together here uh, does, you know, not, I'm not begging for money. Um, it does cost me uh, money to get these up and host the, the podcast uh, for you to download it. And uh, I don't, of course, I don't charge um, for that service. So if you want to support this and you want to get a little bit extra information, uh, pick up this book. So there the there are a number of um, of supply dealers now. I've sent I've sent over 200 to um, different supply dealers out there. So uh, I know they're out there and available, but um, but I want those guys to be able to sell sell copies of the book so they reorder and and they put it in their catalogs and and all that. So uh, you can get this book. It's the the retail price is twelve dollars. It's not a huge book, but I think it's a pretty good deal for the information you get. You can get it at F&T for Harvester's Trading Post, which you know they have pretty much everything related to trapping. You can get it at uh, from John Chagnon at PCS Outdoors. You can get it from Keith Winkler, Sterling Fur Company. And you can get it from Kotz Brothers, uh, K-A-A-T-Z-Bros.com. So those are those are some places that I think it would be really cool if you if you bought from them, um, especially while you're ordering your other trapping supplies, because uh, it, it kind of just helps me me out. Um, you know, I'm a new guy. I've never put a book out before. I'm just on the web. Trappingtoday.com has kind of been my thing forever. I don't go to all the conventions and meet all these guys, um, and I don't have a reputation. I didn't go out and trap a thousand beavers. Uh, or 500 coyotes or anything like that Um, so uh, it's hard to get people to take a chance on you in the trapping industry when nobody really knows your name Um, of course working on that but uh, it really helps benefit me if if a guy can say hey you know uh, I I heard about your company on the trapping day podcast Uh, just want to let you know um, um, he's getting the Jeremiah's getting the word out and or whatever or going and buying this book and they say oh wow we you know we just sold three four or five copies of the book um that's pretty cool maybe we need to put this in in uh you know a pretty visible area of a, at our booth at the convention or you know maybe um we ought to talk to Jeremiah maybe order a few more copies so that would be pretty awesome because that's kind of it's hard to, to get started and, and grow from the ground up. And uh, I, I, wanna, I want this book to sell quite a few copies, uh, set things up a little better for the future. Um, so you can get it at those guys, those dealers. You can also get it on Amazon, uh, amazon.com. If you got Prime or whatever, you know, that's it, the book's free shipping. I think Prime or not. And you can get it on my website, trappingtoday.com. And I know a few of you guys who listen to the podcast and have emailed me have also bought the book. So I really appreciate that very much. And, uh, and, uh, thank you so much for your support. Um, it is encouraging. It's awesome. Let's move on to the main topic of the show.
one of the common questions that you hear from people who are relatively new to the trapping industry is what is the difference between a bait and a lure and to to some people that might sound like a crazy question like isn't that self-explanatory but you know when you think about it if someone isn't very exposed to to uh, trapping and to the the different types of words we use in the terminology and everything maybe they wouldn't get it so let's let's go with this introduction uh in in the lure making topic tonight let's let's talk about the difference between a bait and a lure uh, and then we're going to move on and we're going to talk about uh, types of lures and lure bases. So um, the very basic difference is that a bait is something that is meant for the animal to eat um, or at least try to eat because of course the goal is that uh, he's going to step his foot over the pan of the trap before he gets to eat any of the bait anyway. But the bait is 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 food. It's something to eat. The lure, uh, the, the the attraction of the lure is the scent. Now that scent may be a food-based scent, um, of course, and and many probably most lures are, or, or a good percentage of the lures are. Uh, but there's no meal involved, right? So so they're smelling that food, but there's not a large quantity of something they eat. So an animal's not going to eat a lure. They could eat bait. Um, that being said, uh, because of that, bait is obviously going to be used in a higher volume than a lure. And bait is going to be a larger percentage uh, of food. Uh, there are some exceptions. Some people would consider things like... Uh, you know, fermented egg or shellfish oil to be baits. Um, I guess m m maybe the I'm wrong in this, and the experts uh, would disagree. But uh, I think I think if there's no volume to that, and it's mostly just a smell, then then I think it I would categorize it more as a lure. So so the bait is going to be more volume. The bait's typically going to be a meat or fish uh, or something else that 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 animal is going to eat. Uh, for instance, if you're beaver trapping and you use uh, aspen sticks, uh, like for instance, I have uh, several YouTube videos and pictures on, on Trapping Today Instagram that I, I used uh, wired sticks, aspen sticks, to uh, either a pole or a trigger on a 330 conibear to get the beaver to, to get caught in a trap. And that is bait. Um, so, so bait, it is, involves a meal, uh, for muskrats that could be cattail roots that you, you pull out of the ground pull a bunch of roots out and you stick them on, uh, the edge of the water and make a little pocket there and they come into that bait for a mink, uh, that could be a chunk of fish, a couple chunks of fish for a coyote that could be, you know, um, it could be a few chunks of uh, meat, uh, of whatever you happen to um, to believe is is going to be effective. So um, while we're on the topic of bait, we could probably talk about the. Uh, you have a couple different types of bait. You have sort of just bait that you use and and put out there in your dirt holes or or at your set locations, and then for a lot of the the land trapping for canines. Uh, as well as dog-proof trapping for coons and so on, you have 
a lot of prepared baits and the prepared baits are going to be usually a blend of the the main food ingredient with a bunch of other scents or food ingredients uh, incorporated into it so for instance a prepared bait for martin like what i used on my martin trap line last fall was ground beaver meat that was uh, tainted a little bit to to get um, higher scent volume it was preserved of course which which most of these baits are going to be preserved for long shelf life so they don't rot Uh, so they're still attractive as a food not as a rotted meat and that was mixed with fish oil um, and a number of other different ingredients that uh, that added to the attraction um, of that bait. So uh, whether it's you know just a plain chunk of meat, whether it's a prepared bait, a mixture of a bunch of different ingredients, a bait's a bait. And a bait's going to usually have higher volume. Uh, it's going per unit of volume. It's going to have far less calling power than a lure, because a lure a lure is going to be very low volume, <clears throat> but a very strong odor. And the bait is going to be much less expensive. So where, whereas I told you four ounces of lure is typically going for about uh, twenty, it was twenty dollars. It'll probably be going up to twenty-five dollars. Um, you can get sixteen ounces of bait, and the bait is typically even a prepared bait is typically sold only in sixteen ounce containers. So that's four times as much volume at half the price. So so the bait's going to be a lot more volume. And you can use bait at higher volumes during colder weather, and it will increase the calling power um, of that bait. But anyway, that's basically the difference. You know, lure is going to be scent-based. Uh, there's not a meal involved, though the scent might, like I said, have food in it. Uh, lure is going to have a lesser volume and lure is going to have a stronger calling power. So that's the difference between a bait and a lure. Let's talk about the different types of lures. So this is a little bit difficult to actually key in on specific types of lures and have you know everybody in the trapping community, lure making community agree that, that these are the kinds of lures. But just from basically my viewpoint, my understanding of of lures in trapping, I can tell you what I think. And and I think uh, very basically there are three main types of lures. A food lure, a call lure, and a gland lure. Now, uh, that may oversimplify things. Um, you know, uh, Russ Carmen, who is kind of the I guess the most scientific uh, and probably most experienced, one of the most experienced lure makers in the industry. Um, he his categories he he calls them a food lure, curiosity lure, species specific lure, and competitive lure. So he's got four different categories. Other people will have, you know, you probably every lure maker you talk to will have a different opinion on this. But I think to make it really simple, in in my mind, there's those three types: food call and gland so a food lure is very much as described it is uh, it attracts the animal of course the purpose of a lure um, 
probably doesn't need to be said, but it's to attract an animal to a set so you can catch them in your trap. So the food lure, the, the primary attractant of that lure is going to be food. That means that the animal is, it is going to appeal to an animal's hunger. So that can be sometimes make things difficult because uh, you may have periods of time or types of animals or years when the draw of a food-based lure is going to be vastly different because really animals uh, sometimes they're just not all that hungry. Sometimes there's plenty of food out there and they don't need to eat. So for instance, uh, when I trapped Martin last year, my trap line, it was a record high year for food availability. And the Martin and Fisher were just not all that hungry. In fact, uh, it was hard to get them to go into the sets um, until um, things started to get cold and we got snow on the ground and the, the food availability became a little bit uh, more limiting and maybe they got a little hungrier. But up until that time, boy, it was almost impossible to get them to go into a bait. So in that case, a food type lure uh, probably wouldn't be the ticket. Now, I've had years coyote trapping when I was first learned to coyote trap and it was unbelievable how easy it was to attract a coyote um, with a food-based lure, um, and and of course with bait, but you know we were we were using a specific call lure that that uh, I know has has a strong food base to it, um, and we were using a, a bunch of, of meat scraps from from some animals that had been butchered, and every single set was getting hit just over and over and over again. Uh, there are very few sets that didn't get hit by either a coyote or a fox or some other animal. And it, that was just happened to be a year that there wasn't a lot of food available. So that can vary uh, significantly. It can also vary on based on population levels. If you have, say, a coyote population that's been hit really hard, the numbers are down, and there's uh, lots of food available for the individuals that are left in the population. Uh, or you you know you had disease wiped out a bunch of them, uh, you know they're going to be less drawn to food. Um, that doesn't mean that they won't go into your set. Uh, you know sometimes those animals are just gluttons and they they will will go uh, or they're just curious um, and they can't resist a meal. But it just means that they're going to be a little pickier when it comes to a food based lure. Uh, the second the second type of lure. Um, and, and uh, I should go back to the food base and just reiterate that, you know, not just specific to to, uh, to carnivores, uh, animals like beaver and muskrat, you can use food-based lures for them as well. And the food uh, attractant for for beaver and muskrat, uh, for beaver, it it would be probably you know the most common foods that they eat, uh, like uh, aspen, willow. And uh, alder sometimes, and, and a number of other species. Sometimes they'll eat birch and maple. Depends on what's available in the particular area that they're in. For muskrat, they're going to be eating a lot of cattails. A lot of cattails. Um, seems like at least in this area, if you have cattails, you have muskrats. If you don't, you don't. Um, we we don't see a lot of muskrats in areas without cattails. They will eat other roots. Um, at some point, I'm going to go over a book 
uh, a muskrat, the muskrat trapper's guide, and that's a really incredibly huge uh, resource for for understanding muskrat biology. But that's going to be again a vegetation type uh, of um, attractant for a food lure. So food lure for beaver, for instance, might include something like poplar bud oil, which if you smell that, it's uh, basically an oil that that has a concentrated scent of what you might smell out there, um, a, f- a fresh bud from a poplar tree. So so the food type lure uh, can work differently for different species and, and it's specific to the species. Uh, a mink food lure would, would include some sort of fish or frogs or crayfish because that's what mink eat. For coon, it would be very similar. Similar to mink. Uh, except that coons seem to have a sweet tooth. Of course, they like to go in and raid sweet corn from gardens and, and such. So they can coons can be attracted um, with a, more of a syrup type lure, syrupy, sugary type lure, um, or fruit or berry type lure. Uh, also, just another observation: animals like marten uh, do feed on berry on raspberries heavily in the summer uh, so they can be attracted to um, raspberry berry type lure as well as for instance some people use raspberry jam for martin for bait so that's something to consider as well and you know fox and coyotes do eat eat other types of food as well they'll eat berries they'll eat grasshoppers things like that um, one other thing to consider with the food lures is is how you want to approach this and and what's going to make the best uh, call uh, the, the best type of lure for um, to to take advantage of that hunger of, of an animal and the, the there are two ways to think about it one is I want to use the food that's the most natural to this animal in this area so if you are in um, an area where you have lots of deer and you have lots of coyotes that feed on those deer, maybe you want to use a lure that has um, sort of a, a deer, a food. If you're going to use a food lure, it's going to have some scent that's going to indicate uh, deer. Um, if you have an area that's very abundant with beaver, maybe you want to have um, some beaver caster or something in, integrated in that food lure. That is one approach. The other approach is to use something completely different uh, that that animal has never smelled before or is not used to smelling. Um, and and you can go both ways. An example of this would be, I know guys up here in northern Maine that bait bears, and they will go down to the coast, which is uh, three and a half to four or five hours away, depending on where you go, and they they will drive down there and get uh, lobster shells, or they'll grab a bunch of lobsters, have a big lobster feed, and they'll use lobster shells and lobster parts uh, in their bear baits. And some guys will swear by it and say it's an absolute just dynamite attractant. So um, the, you you really can go a lot of different ways with this. There's guys out west that will use horse meat because you know horses are pretty common out on the range. Uh, big ranches have lots of horses, and there's also a bunch of wild horses out there. A dead horse is pretty common for a coyote to find. 
some people use sheep, uh, mutton, uh, lamb, meat, uh, because it's common. But in other areas, uh, some people say in the Northeast, maybe the horse meat doesn't work quite so well. So there's just it's just this is one of the beauties of lure making and and trying to understand this is uh, is the whole mentality of the animal. So uh, maybe you want to test things out and try different um, different types of of food based lures, and you might find that in in a year where the animal is is uh, really hungry and there's not a lot of food, they're gonna more readily react to something they're used to. Um, so a local food. You also may find that in an area that in a, in a year where you have lots of food, maybe they don't really care. They're not going to go investigate that food that they're used to seeing all the time. But if you use something different they've never seen or never smelled, then you could get them in. Um, it could work the exact opposite way. I, I really don't know. Um, just something really fascinating, I think, to experiment with. So that's food lure. So remember the three the three types of lures, in my opinion, food, call, and gland. So let's go on to the call lure. And the call lure, um, I kind of categorize this as, as, um, as its own type of lure because of there's just such a high, large number of long-distance call lures out on the market. And I think they kind of deserve their own sort of category. Uh, that being said, you know, a call lure could incorporate some food uh, or gland um, <clears throat> component to it. But really, to me, the call the call lure is sort of, um, well, it's twofold. It's It's number one. It's just its primary attractant is just to get an animal from from distance so the the greater component of the call lure isn't necessarily a specific reaction as it or a specific draw as as um, much as the uh, magnitude of that draw so it's a it's a very strong lure it calls from a long distance um, and and therefore uh, that's kind of that's kind of his deal. It's kind of what it does. Um, that being said, if I was to categorize um, what the reaction uh, would be with with the long distance call lure, to me it's curiosity. So it, it, you're mainly you may be playing on the territorial, um, the, the the species specific, like Carmen would call it, um, or the food components, but really. Um, when when an animal smells something like that from a long distance, they just want to know what's up. So uh, I think the curiosity component is probably m- more prevalent in the long distance call lure. And and of course, skunk is the most common uh, ingredient in long distance call because skunk is so volatile and potent, and it smells really really strong, and so it can be <laughs> call animals from a long ways. Uh, there are some other ingredients that do that. If you look, um, we discussed a little earlier um, in previous episodes uh, of the Trapping Today podcast about uh, synthetic fermented egg, which has been proven in government tests to be um, one of the number one, if not the number one, call ingredient to get an animal 
to a set location. So SFE is really strong. Um, some guys don't like it because it really is volatile and it's kind of dangerous to work with. You don't want to inhale it and it's wicked strong. Um, some people might use something like, uh, you know, rotten eggs, uh, to get that same type of, uh, type of strong smell. Uh, rotten meat can, can be an ingredient to a long distance call lure as well. So there's a number of different things, but skunk is pretty much, uh, the primary long distance call. It's worked for decades and decades and decades in the trapping world and I don't see any of that changing anytime soon. So skunk is a good good way to go with the call lures. Um I, I think there is some room to get to get uh SFE and get a little something else going on because um I do personally wonder sometimes if we're overusing skunk. Uh I I have nothing to base that on except uh my own just thoughts riding around in the pickup truck going to different sets over and over again and it's always skunk and you get to wonder a little bit you know these populations kind of uh, it, it, where there's a lot of guys trapping and and uh, the predator population maybe they're just like eh, maybe I don't need to go to that set I smell that every quarter mile um, in my entire territory so uh, I figured it out I'm not as curious anymore uh, the other the opposite could be taking place um, again, the beauty of this is there's so many unknowns, uh, but they could be saying, well, I know every time I smell skunk, it means there's food there. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go check it out. Um, <clears throat> but then you kind of lose the whole curiosity component of things. But anyway, that's the call lure. And then finally the gland lure. Um, somebody asked me, um, you know, what's this? there's a similar scent every single bottle of lure I open up is uh, smells the same way and what is that what are they using uh, and the only thing I could think to say was glands because uh, vast majority of of lures are going to contain some sort of animal gland in them and glands are um, so so there's a number of different things that a gland lure does. Uh, it plays on territoriality. It plays on curiosity. Um, and it kind of, I guess those are probably the two. That, and, and it could be sort of what Carmen says about this whole species, um, species specific or uh, uh, type of um, competition between different species. So the gland, the, the gland lure is going to attract animal for, for a number of different reasons. Uh, one is going to be sexual reproductive attraction. So uh, if an uh, animal is interested in um, other uh, seeking out uh, other uh, coyotes, for instance, a coyote is interested in seeking out female coyotes for breeding purposes, um, the gland lure is going to attract them. Uh, it's going to play to their curiosity because, oh, wow, um, there's another animal that's been to this set. Uh, what is that? Um, it's going to play to territoriality and, uh, and uh, competitiveness. Uh, so there's just a whole number of different things going on with the gland lure, and that's probably why gland lures are so effective. So... Um, 
so if the animal knows, um, say you have a gland lure and you also have a, a bait at a set or a sort of food lure component, the animal's going to go in there and maybe they're going to, a coyote especially is going to be a little, tend to be a little um, leery of a lot of sets, but then he's going to smell that, oh, another animal was here. Well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, you know, and then, then all of a sudden they probably get thinking, well, another animal was here and they stashed this food. I'm going to steal it from them. You know, I, man, they, they know something I don't know. What's up with that? Um, at the same time, they might be thinking, well, I know what I smell like and I know what all my pack mates smell like. And uh, my mom and dad and, and brothers and sisters that we all kind of live in this area. And I know where the edge of their range is and all that. This is something new. I don't like this. What is up with this? I need to investigate a little more. I smell a coyote and it's not a coyote that I know. So they're going to stick their nose in that hole or, or under that rock or however you have your set. And they're going to be placing their paw uh, within your pattern and, and hopefully get caught. So, so the gland lure is, is going to do a number of those d different things. Um, also, let's say you're trapping for coyotes and you use a fox gland lure. They may say, well, I need to figure out who this fox is because I need to run him down and try to kill him or, or so on. There's just a, a whole variety of different things going on with the gland lure. And again, that's probably why they're so popular. So those three types of lures, uh, food, call, and gland. Now let's talk about lure base. What is the base of a lure? What is a lure base? Well, there's a number of different uh, ways to define a lure base. And I've probably been guilty of misusing the term or using it inconsistently as most other trappers have done. And because there, like I said, there's different ways to, to define a base. It's at its simplest level, a base is the foundation of a lure. It's, it's what the lure starts with. Um, typically the base is going to be the ingredient that is in highest volume um, for a number of different reasons. That's not always the case but that's pretty typical. And you often hear well this is a blank based lure. For the long distance call lure that I developed for my Martin and Fisher trap line um, that is uh, designed to prevent freezing and to hold up in cold conditions as well as wet conditions. Uh, I call that a grease-based lure because the primary ingredient that makes up the majority of the volume of that lure is a grease. Uh, Northwest uh, Predator Control, Scott, uh, I think it's Scott Phillips, he is the originator of grease-based lures, kind of the first guy that's used um, grease-based lures and put them on the market. So, so that's one way of defining a a base. Some people talk about um, long-distance call lures being skunk-based, and I don't I don't know how correct that term is either, because skunk, uh, you know, it the is probably not the foundation of that lure, but it depends how you define it. Base can be defined a number of different ways. Let's go back to the expert. Uh, Russ Carmen is is probably the top lure maker around as far as you know, just completely 
um, brings lure making to a science and his definition is a the the odor of the base material is what provides the primary airborne reaction to a lure so if you think about that it goes completely counter to my definition of a grease based lure because grease is not providing any odor in this lure so um, again number of different ways to to define uh, but but what Carmen believes is that if you're gonna have a base that base better be doing something other than just holding up the lure um, there are a few reasons though um, aside from a providing a scent or an airborne reaction to the animal to use a base so a base can uh, prevent freezing the base can control the release of odors and prevent evaporation uh, the base can improve the consistency of the lure to get at a desired consistency you're looking for and the base can provide uh, increase in volume of the lure and increase in volume doesn't just mean you're watering down the lure what it means is if you have these uh, say essential oils that you're using in very small quantities uh, it may not make sense to have a lure that's so heavily concentrated in such small quantities uh, that it makes it difficult to apply properly at a set so uh, so you add a little something to it to to uh, either change the consistency or, or just kind of uh, uh, change the uh, increase the volume a little bit and, and lower the the potency of that um, that formulation so um, obviously a, a base is not going to do all of these different things and different types of bases are going to are going to uh, accomplish different portions of this. Uh, some some will not do any. Some will just provide that primary airborne reaction. So um, let's go over just a few different types of base materials. So fish oil is a very common base, and you'll see if you look at different lure in making ingredients um, and lure recipes, a lot of them have fish oil as the largest component of the the lure so fish oil is not only um, going to provide a scent to the lure but it's it's also going to uh, help prevent freezing um, the oil base will allow mixture of oil based um, e um, scent other oil based scents and lure making ingredients to mix well with that um, if they're water based and it's oil based then that uh, causes some problems so you got to think about that um, but fish oil is very common. Uh, liver, um, and liver from a number of different species uh, can be, oh, going back to fish oil. Um, we probably will discuss this in, in other uh, segments of the lure making um, stuff, but there is a difference in fish oil. There's a, a wide variety of quality of fish oil, types of fish that it comes from, sizes of fish, uh, stages, life stages of fish. So there are some fish oils that are great to use for lure making, some that you really shouldn't use. Maybe you use them as a trailing scent or put them in bait or something, but they shouldn't be part of lures. Some, some of them will actually... Um, lower decrease the quality of lure so that's something to think about and, and we'll cover it in other other uh, segments uh, liver a lot of people uh, it doesn't matter the type of liver it can be beef liver um, 
I'm using a lot of beaver livers because I had access to a lot of them. Uh, it could be uh, deer, moose, whatever is legal in your state. Um, a wide variety of different species of livers can be used, muskrats or whatever. Uh, liver, it, some people don't believe there's any difference between species. Some people do. Um, I'm kind of, I, I, I don't understand how it could be because every liver that I've handled has been essentially the same thing um, as far as um, you know land animals um, I take that back you know cod liver maybe is a little bit uh, different but that's a totally different species but uh, liver on most animals um, liver on on all mammals seems to be pretty much um, ubiquitous uh, whole carcasses can make a base. Um, th there's some dudes that have these, these really like big time lure makers. Some of them can grind whole carcasses. They have a huge, huge um, commercial heavy duty grinders and they can put a whole carcass in it. What that does is it allows the, the skin and the hair and all the different components of that carcass to, to be ground down. And um, that kind of can produce a more natural type of uh, attractant to an animal because uh, in nature they're not going to have meat, sea meat that's been uh, skinned and, and uh, butchered and cut off the bone and everything. Um, glands. Glands are a huge base material. So like I said, a lot of lures, um, glands are the prim primary um, attractant. Um, it, very, 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 very common. Sometimes, a lot of times you'll see like a, for a coyote, gland lure you're going to have coyote glands sometimes you can use fox glands for coyote gland lure uh, muskrat glands seem to be a very uh, very popular uh, component of many lures uh, mink glands because they're a little easier to get because of all the mink ranches um, mink glands are often a common fox and coyote lure ingredient um, so, so the glands are are going to be a very popular base material. They they add volume. They add um, they can provide good consistency. Um, gland gland lures are very very common. Uh, then you get into the whole uh, grease. Like I said, what I've I've made that Martin lure Martin Fisher call lure out of um, fats, oils, um, glycerin. Uh, animal fats and oils can, um, some people swear by them, a lot of people won't touch them because they can uh, go rancid and go bad. Uh, a lot of them will, will harden up when it gets a little cold. Uh, glycerin is is very common base. Uh, I don't know if you can call it a base because it has no scent, but uh, it's one that will prevent freezing and it will uh, mixing of a lot of lures and it can improve the consistency of them. So. I included it. Uh, eggs. A lot of people have talked about using rotten eggs or fresh eggs uh, as a base. Not super popular. Urine. I don't know. Urine. To me, urine base. It seems like it makes for a really watered down lure. And the quality of urine again is really critical. So uh, keep that in mind. I think urine has uh, maybe in uh, as an ingredient in a lure, it can be very effective. Uh, of course, using urine at a set is is very effective uh, for a number of different reasons. But as a base in a lure, uh, I don't I don't know. 
Uh, blood, I've heard of blood being used, don't know much about it, um, but, uh, but something to consider. And then finally you got like the sugary syrupy type stuff and that's primarily going to be for your raccoon lures. So like honey, molasses, uh, like I said, you know, like a raspberry jam could be used for Martin, a Martin lure. Uh, but those are those are basically the types of of base materials that you have uh, to think about. There are a number of others you could probably come up with and use. Uh, but but now, hopefully, when you think about what is a lure base and what does it do, um, you kind of have you got the idea. So again, the base um, there's a number of different ways to define it, but it probably makes up the primary volume of the lure. Uh, it can provide the primary airborne reaction to the lure uh, so it provides some scent in a lot of cases some cases not can help prevent freezing control the release of odors improve consistency uh, manage the volume of the lure and uh, we went over the different types of bases so the base is where you start and and when you start from the base you you move on to add a bunch of different components of the lure they're gonna make it all come together and catch fur so I hope you enjoyed that, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm real happy to have you along, and I appreciate it. Uh, keep on listening. Share the podcast with a friend. And if you have any questions about this episode or uh, future episodes, you got some ideas, questions you, you like to have answered and discussed on the podcast, um, Really anything, open for, for any any thoughts from you. Uh, you can contact me, email me, jrodwood at gmail.com. That's J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Uh, love to hear from you. Keep on thinking trapping. Get ready. Trapping season is coming. Uh, it's going to be crazy busy, I'm sure, for many of you like me. Uh, but uh, keep on going and hope to see you in the next episode.